If you have a Bible uh, with you, please open to the book of Romans, chapter 8. The book of Romans, chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. The title of my message this morning is The Table of Freedom. If you're taking notes, The Table of Freedom. We're going to move through this chapter very slowly, and I I hope that uh, when something sticks out at you as you're reading, just mark down that verse, take note of it, highlight it, and or underline it, go back to it. It's a very rich chapter, so we're going to try to parse through it together. It's talking about life through the Spirit. Verse 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met. In us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, whoever, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. 
For those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all, for who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. God, truly, Lord, you have made us more than conquerors. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh upon us. Fall afresh upon us. Move on us today in your power. Help us in our weakness. We need your power, your leading, and your direction. In all of these things we ask in your presence we pray. Amen. Amen. If you agree, say amen. Amen just means let it be. Or be it so. Or so be it. Thank you. Um, I just got back from boot camp a couple weeks ago. Uh, not the thing that you do at the little gym down the street. Um, uh, the actual boot camp. Uh, those of you who don't know, I'm actually in the Canadian Armed Forces. I am uh, training right now to be a chaplain. And uh, there's some extensive training. And of course, I'm working on a, um, a graduate degree at Tyndale in order to fulfill all the requirements of becoming a chaplain. So <clears throat> it's going to take a few years to get there, but one of the trainings we had was boot camp. And uh, I just want to say thank you for your support uh, as I was going and all things we were doing. We just, the group of chaplains that we were put together with, we just really sensed that uh, there were so many people praying for us. Um, it's hard to put into words what, what I mean by that, but it's just, you know, favor. You know, we get there and things are lining up. They're working out. We get to uh, the lunchroom and it's free for us or we go to do a certain exercise or we get some equipment and, you know, they make you carry like a hundred different things on you and you're really tired. So it's very easy to like lose something, you know, but thank God we didn't lose anything. We didn't lose anyone. We made it through. So thank you for praying and um, thank you for that support. My question, just to start off this morning, is have you ever been lost? We got lost in boot camp. 
So um, just the structure of the boot camp, you go to the school, um, and with the chaplains, they're cramming about three months' worth of work into one month. And so we'd have class from, you know, get, wake up at 5 a.m., and we wouldn't leave class until 8 p.m. at night, most nights. And we've got orders and stuff to do in the evening and, and, and stuff like that for the next day. And you have to march everywhere you go around the school. And um, just when you get figured out at the school, all the rules and everything, uh, they send you off to the field, what they call the field, which is about half hour away. And they send you out there. And then there's a whole different set of rules that you have to learn and figure out. And they have different classes. So we would prepare during the week at the school what classes we'd be doing. And then when we go out in the field, we'd actually put into practice some of the things we learned. And one of the things we learned a little bit was this idea of topography. Topography. How to read a map. And um, it was funny because... We use maps quite a bit, and of course, you know, in today's world, we don't really use maps all that much. We use GPS, and the GPS knows where we are, so it's a little bit easier to function, just follow the directions, but to use a map properly, you have to figure out where you are, so we learned how to use a compass, how to plot a bearing with the compass. You hold the compass up, and you're pulling on a little string, and there's a mirror, and you're, you're kind of setting the declination. It's a technical term for how the much the compass should be shifted and all that. Those of you who know what I'm talking about, you get it. If you don't, it won't matter because you'll never use it. But we learned how to use a compass and how to read a map and how to plot a bearing so that we could at least figure out where we are on the map and then how many paces it takes to get from point A to point B. And so they send you a chart of all these things, kind of like a treasure hunt. It's got like 15 points on it, and you've got to make it to each point. The problem with the field is you can't see what's really on the ground just from the map. You don't know if it's a forest or a swamp or if it's full of mud or if it's just flat grass. So you say, oh, it's easy. I'll just go that direction. You get there, and then you're knee-deep in water. It, it became an issue. So we were out there, and we came. We got all the points. We're down to our last point, and it was way out of the way. And uh, we had a small team of three, and one person sets the pace, and one person checks the map, and the other person is on the radio, radioing back, telling the command where we are and, and, and everything like that. So it was my turn to lead and um, this particular one, and <coughs> we got lost. So you can imagine it was uh, overcast, a little bit like today, so you couldn't really see the sun. It was just the sky was all gray, and uh, we're out there, and the trees are really, really high. It's all these birch trees. So in every direction, it's just all forest, all the way around, 360 degrees. It looks the same. So you can imagine how easy it is to get lost in there. And we used every technique. We, we traced back our steps. We tried to find markers. And to make a long story short, we came to the end of our ability. We came to the end of what our knowledge was. We weren't able to do it. So what did we do? We had to radio in. And we said, 2-5, that's the name of our platoon. This is 2-5 Bravo. That's the name of our little group. We are lost. So you could just hear them laughing on the other end of the radio for a little bit. 
And uh, they helped us out and told us which direction to go in. And we made it back. That was fine. But I think that the idea is that this life can also be uh, something where we, in our own ability, get lost from time to time. We face all kinds of situations and different things where we can't really sense which direction to take. Amen? Am I the only one? We need a guide to help us navigate the terrain. We cannot achieve God's will for our lives in our own ability. That's what Romans chapter 8 really hones in on. Is we cannot achieve God's plan in the flesh. We need the Spirit of God. You cannot achieve the plan of God for your life in your own strength and in your own ability apart from God. You need the guidance and direction and leading of the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of times we, 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 we come to church, we pray, we ask God to lead us and guide us, and God shows up and He reveals to us a, a, a part of where we're going and we sort of get direction. But then we go out on our own strength and in our own ability and we try to figure it out all by ourselves and leave Jesus behind. I know I'm guilty of that. But Jesus doesn't want us to just get the plan and go do it on our own. He wants to walk with us through it each step of the way. When we sow to the flesh, we are only able to reap the fruit that the flesh can produce. Romans is very clear what that fruit is. It's death. It's death. Jesus was the only one capable of truly fulfilling the old covenant, the law. He was able to fulfill the righteous requirement of the old covenant because he is the bearer of the new covenant promise, the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that it was impossible to fulfill the law. It was impossible because they didn't have the Holy Spirit that could empower them to to meet the righteous requirement of the law. If they could, Jesus would never have come. But he came and showed up as our Savior because without him, we would be bankrupt. Without him, we would not be able to achieve the righteous standard of God's law. So he stepped in and fulfilled it, fulfilled the old covenant because he had the spirit. Amen? Now that we've been made to partake of his spirit, we too can walk empowered by the spirit to fulfill the will of God for our lives. And I want to talk a little bit in depth about what life apart from the Spirit is like. It's just chaos. It's like being lost in a forest. It's coming to the end of your rope, end of your ability, where your strength has failed, your flesh has failed, and there is no hope apart from God. Jesus said this, apart from me, you can do nothing. We, look, we don't have to look too hard to turn on the TV and see 
all of the confusion that's going on, all of the hurt and the anguish and the suffering and the miscommunication and the fighting. News the other day that uh, a young child was trapped in a car. You know, our heart breaks just by being in this world and seeing what's going on. We see so much hate and pain and confusion and powerlessness to affect any change. This is the fruit of our own ability. There's a scripture that says the letter of the law is, the letter of the law kills, but the spirit gives life. And apart from the spirit of God, all we have is religion. Apart from a relationship with God, all we have to go on is our own ability. If we today choose to live apart from the Spirit of God, what else is left? We only have whatever we can do, and we already know the results of that, the fruit of that. We cannot affect change in our lives or in the world around us at all apart from the Spirit of God. Do you agree? Apart from the Spirit of God, there is unrest. There is no peace. Apart from the Spirit of God, there is fear. There is no love. Apart from the Spirit of God, there is slavery to sin. Because it's empowered by the Spirit that we have victory over sin. 2 Timothy 3 reads this, first couple of verses, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people, Paul said to Timothy. And that verse is really interesting to me. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Everything can look right on the outside. But on the inside, Jesus said, it's just dead. It's deadness. It's what he claimed of the Pharisees because they were so concerned with the outward. Everything looked right. Everything looked perfect on the outside. But on the inside, they weren't relying on the Spirit of God. Who are we? We tend to read passages about the Pharisees and we say, well, that's not us. But we're challenged with the same human condition. We're challenged with the same every day. We have to make the choice to rely on the Spirit of God. 
And you know that when you've relied on your own ability, how things have turned out. You can skate by for a while, but in the end, it won't produce the result that God desires for your life. We need the Spirit of God. And that's why every week when we come here to worship and we enter into the time of worship, it's that place that we come to where I believe God can move. God, by His Spirit, can do miracles in that place. It's not that God is bound in any place. He can, he can move at any point. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is there's an intentional time that we come to every week and should be more and more in your lives where we are worshiping God. We are praising Him. We're entering into His presence and He's filling us because it's in those moments where the Spirit can do that work in us. Amen? You say, well, why do we worship? Why do we do that? That's one of the reasons. We're so desperate and hungry for the presence of God. We would not be moving down the road if it wasn't for the presence of God. We wouldn't be moving there if it wasn't for the Spirit of God. It's an impossible thing. It's happening because God is in it. If there's anything that has been done in my life of any good, I know it's because God was at the helm. So the first thing I want to talk about tonight, that to this morning, that was, that was just my introduction, okay? Hang on. We are called to guard our minds. We are called to align our thinking with the Spirit of God. How do we do that? The Scriptures speak about taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. We submit our thoughts to God. You may think this is an impossible task. You're like, sometimes I can't control what I think. Okay, Martin Luther, the reformer, said this. He wrote it, actually. You can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. You can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. This is something that can be improved upon when you practice it. Why is this important? It's important to guard our thoughts because from our thoughts and emotions and our emotions around our thoughts, this is the battleground where our actions are determined. Advertising industry knows this. Social media knows this. That's why they're trillion-dollar industries. Verse 12 in our passage, if you remember, lets us know that we have a duty. We have an obligation. We have a part to play in this work, and that is to submit ourselves and our thoughts to the Spirit of God. What is life like with the presence of God? 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. In the King James, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and of a sound mind. With the spirit, we have a sound mind. This is really important for the day in which we're living. A day of confusion. A day where everything is relative. A day where a person's individual interpretation is the end-all and be-all of what truth should be. It's confused. And yet, by the Spirit of God, we can live with a sound mind. We can live in love. We can live with God's ability. With the Spirit of God, we enter into relationship to the Father over religion. 
2 Corinthians 3.6 says this, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. With the presence of God, we have peace, we have joy, we have life. In Romans, we read about being adopted into God's family. We have freedom and liberty instead of slavery. Does this mean we are free from all sufferings if we live by the Spirit? No, but instead we have the fellowship with the sufferings of Christ to the end that we would also share in his glory. You know what Paul says about the sufferings he faced? On the one hand, he said the sufferings were great, but he said, you know, if I had to compare what I'm going through with the glory that's to be revealed, he said there's no comparison. Can I just put that out to you this morning? Whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is you're facing, the difficulties, the challenges, the impasses, the barriers, the blockages, the sins, the downright sins that are going on, and the suffering that goes with it, cannot be compared to the glory that awaits. Whatever it is you're facing, the glory is ahead. Amen? This is what life with the presence of God is like. All of creation is awaiting the revelation of the glory of God. This world is not what it is destined to be. The spirit alive in us causes us to long for our redemption. This is the substance of prayer, and this is my second point. Not only are we called to guard our thoughts, but we are called to pray. It's interesting, um, right now I'm doing uh, Master of Divinity at Tyndale, and I'm in this special program where it's, it's called a cohort, and <clears throat> there's about seven or eight of us in the class, and everyone is from a different walk of life, okay? Uh, they're all Christian, but some are Baptist, some are from a non-denomination, some are charismatic. Um, you know, I sort of sit by the other Pentecostals. We have our little charismatic corner, and when anything talks about the spirit in class, they kind of look over at us and just give them the nod. <laughs> we got the monopoly on that. So, um, And the thing is, the conversation came up about speaking in tongues. You ever love to have these conversations, right? Is anyone getting a little nervous? No? Okay. And um, I'm trying to explain to someone who has been told very adverse things, who thinks it was nonsense, or doesn't understand, is very sincere, is not, um, you know, is not abrasive against uh, speaking tongues, just doesn't know or was told what he was told. We're trying to explain it to him. And so, of course, we're praying and, and trying to ask God to guide us in, in how to go about talking about this. And, of course, you know, we talked about the book of Acts, how there was different languages that uh, was used to witness. And all the, peop- all the foreigners that heard in the day of Pentecost, they heard it in their own language, went back to the places where they were living and shared that testimony. But there's other parts of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 14 is a good one where we talk about this prayer language. And... I began to talk to my friend about it, my schoolmate, and I said, you know, there is a, 
a place where we have this sort of private prayer language. It says in 1 Corinthians that if anyone speaks in a tongue, he doesn't speak to men but to God. His mind isn't edified, but his spirit is edified. Paul said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. He's making that statement to the Corinthians. But in church, he would rather that um, people prophesy because people would be edified. They'd be able to understand. So Paul prayed in tongues. And um, I was sharing this verse with my schoolmate. And I said, you know, there comes to a point in prayer where words are not enough. Have you ever come to that place in prayer where you've prayed through and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and at some point you get to and you're like, you know what, there's, there's no words left to express what's going on here. But I still have a desire to pray. And God, through his spirit, it says in Romans 8.26, intercedes in our behalf through wordless groans. And when he heard that, it just clicked. And he was able to understand it a little bit more. The spirit of God prays the perfect will of God for our lives. Essentially, what we're doing when we pray is we are surrendering ourselves and our wills to the mind of God. There's a cool story in, in, uh, in, in, in the Gospels. It's um, the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus goes up the mountain. He's transfigured and uh, Moses and Elijah appear. And who's there with him? His three closest buddies. Peter's there and Peter's always talking, right? And Peter says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. It's good for us to be here. We should build a shelter for Moses and Elijah and one for you and we'll just camp out here. But the thing that I want to focus on is that when he got into the presence of the Lord, he had this sense that it was good for us to be here. And when we enter into the presence of God, we may be going through all kinds of struggles. We may have difficulties, things we're dealing with. But when we get into the presence of God, that is the sentiment we have. Lord, it's good for us to be here. It's good for us to be here because you're here and your presence is here and your joy is here. You know, there's a few times in the, in the Gospels where the disciples stopped asking Jesus questions. It says in Matthew twenty two forty six, they no longer asked him any questions. And in John sixteen thirty, the disciples responded to Jesus after he was talking about the Holy Spirit. It says, now we know, now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. What a curious thing to say. It's not curious, though, for the one who has come to that place in prayer. Have you ever been that person who said, if God was right here, I would just be asking him so many questions. I would just be wanting to know why this is that way and why that's this and, and everything. And I have all these questions. Job was like that. You know, that, that happened to me once. I got a little, bit, a little bit anxious with God, and I just said, God, I want to ask. I, and I was praying. And I just sent, sensed in, in my heart as I was praying, okay, go ahead and ask. And in that moment, everything just dissolved. I had nothing left to ask. There's something about the peace of God's presence that when we enter in, even our questions, things we thought were important, aren't important anymore. Because he has a way of giving us, in our hearts, what we really need. He answers our hearts 
before we can even ask. That's the type of God we serve. Here's the thing about praying in the Spirit. If we are to live beyond our ability, then our prayers need to be beyond our ability. We need to get to a place in prayer beyond what our words can express. God has separated us from the failure of the flesh. He has made possible for us a life where even the sufferings we face have a purpose and a value in conforming us to the image of Christ. That means no matter what comes our way, we have the victory. We are more than conquerors. 831 in Romans says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything in all else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord I can invite the band back I want us to have a moment of reflection this morning and I the thing that as the band is going to play that I'm asking of you is um What it's going to take is honesty, okay? It's going to take honesty. You guys can just begin. You have to be honest with yourselves. Um, Part of my uh, degree at Tyndale, they make you meet with a spiritual director once a month to hold yourself accountable and... Just check in with you, and they don't try to tell you what to do with your life. That's not what their role is. It's different than being a mentor. Um, they sort of come alongside you as a spiritual director, and they, they challenge you by just saying, hey, what's God speaking to your life? And then they journey with you together every month. And uh, it's been a very beneficial process for me, and I've met with my spiritual director monthly, and He's been challenging me because I've been opening up to him about, you know, I'm starting to realize that some of the things in my life today are the result of maybe some of my past. Some of my uh, things that I, I didn't even know were back there. And so as we're talking, he begins to reveal the Lord begins to reveal in our discussion some of these things that haven't been dealt with. And the spiritual director was kind of helping me through it. He's like, you're not called to go and deal with that past issue in your own ability. He's like, what I want you to do is I want you to go back to that situation and I want you to invite the Spirit of God in. I want you to invite Jesus into that situation.
There's a testimony of these brothers who were at a Bible study, and uh, there was someone who was sick. They just had it on their heart to go to the hospital, and they got to the hospital, and they were in the, the doorway, kind of the, the entranceway of the emergency room. And people were coming in with all kinds of emergencies, and people were sick, injured, and, 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 and all kinds of situations were happening all around them. And they just stopped right there in the doorway of the emergency room and began to raise their hands and began to praise the Lord and shout out hallelujah and worship with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the power of God hit that hospital and people were getting healed all around the emergency room. Because they took a moment to stop and say, in this situation of brokenness, where hurt and pain and suffering is happening, we're going to take time to invite the Spirit of God in. And that's what I want us to do in just a moment. I want you to think about a hurt. Some of you have physical needs. Some of you, it may be related to a relationship. Some of it may be financially related, spiritually, your career, academics. Can you just all close your eyes um, just because it will help you focus if, if, you, if you want to, okay? Just think back to a situation that maybe the Spirit of God would put his finger on and say, I need to deal with that. That's still a scar. That still hurts. That still needs to be dealt with. I want you to kind of replay the situation, things that were said, actions that were taken. But this time, I want you to invite Jesus into that picture. Begin to ask yourself, where is Jesus in this picture? Take that moment right now. What would Jesus say in this moment? What would the Spirit of God speak to your heart that would help change your perspective on what happened? Maybe you messed up. Can we just give that to God right now? Lord, I give this situation to you. Just give that whole situation, that person, that, that hurt. Lord, I give you this hurt. I give you that difficulty. I give you this situation, God. In my own ability, I can't bring any change. In my own strength, Lord, I can't fix it. I can't even understand what's happening in my own heart. But I give it to you today, Lord Jesus. Would you cover this? Would you speak your life into this by your spirit? We're called not to work out our history and our past on our own. We're called to have the Spirit of God move in, even to those difficult situations that we faced. Amen. One of the, one of the cool things about um, being at boot camp was 
eating the food. That was the best part, really, because it wasn't just that the food was good. It was good, but it was more like no matter what the day had in store, no matter what difficulty, we always knew that we would eventually, if we could just get to the cafeteria, we knew, okay, we have a moment to break. We have a moment of respite. We have a moment to sit down together and be strengthened and encouraged for the next leg of our journey. And we'd work hard and we'd do all these things at boot camp, but we'd go back to the cafeteria and we'd have a meal. And we'd repeat. And we can depart encouraged and we can be strengthened. This is the kind of activity that Jesus wants for you and me. He wants us to return to the table. The table of freedom. The table of his presence. So in our situations, we invite Jesus in. Why? Because he first invited us to his table. Psalm 23, 5 says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Interestingly, he doesn't remove us away from the struggle. But in the midst of the challenge, he's there with us and prepares a table for us so that we can have the fullness of joy. We can have his spirit. We can have his life. We can have his freedom. And we can be more than conquerors through that situation because of the Spirit of God with us. The table we return to is the cross, the body and the blood broken and poured out for us. This is where we always come back to. You know, in the Old Testament, they would revolve their calendar around feasts and they'd always come back. No matter what their life would happen, the difficulties that the nation would have, they'd come back to that feast. They'd come back to the tabernacle. They'd come back to the altar. They'd come back to the table. They'd come back to where the presence of God was. And now we don't have to go back to a certain place because the table of the Lord's presence resides with us. We can just come back to it. You know, when we, we can pick up this table and we can take it wherever we go. We don't have to leave it here. When we go down to Hoover, we're picking up this table of his presence and we're walking down the road and we're going to plant it right over there. Amen. Let me just close in prayer. And then the band will lead us in a final song. Pastor Jeff will close us out. Father, this morning, those who have difficult situations that they've faced, regardless of the sufferings and the, the pain that people are going through right now, Lord Jesus, we invite you into that situation. Lord, would you speak to that situation? Would you reveal your truth and your will? Help us to have a different perspective on why we've had to endure this, why we've gone through it. What is it that we can learn from this situation? How can we be changed by the situation? Lord, if there's still a pain in our hearts, if there's still the Spirit of God putting His finger on it for us, maybe there's something that we need to learn about it. Maybe there's something that we need to be changed about. Help us to see that this morning. If there's anyone here who has never decided to Invite the presence of God into their life for the first time. I want to give you that opportunity. You may say, I don't understand all these 
things you're talking about, but I just sense that I want to follow this Jesus that you're talking about. If that's you, I invite you now. You can say this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. Lord, I know that I can't make it on my own. I can't do it in my own ability. I know that you're calling me to things that I, I can't accomplish in my own strength, Lord. And I've come to the end of my rope, and so I surrender today my life to you. And I ask, Lord, that you'd forgive me of all my mistakes and sins. You'd cleanse me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I'd begin to walk in the relationship with you and know your power and know your love and know your truth and know your forgiveness. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Help us continually to understand this is not something we just do once, but we have to have a continual invitation to the Holy Spirit. We have to continually return to the table of freedom.